We have a treat. I uh, very wisely decided not to preach this Sunday, but instead I called in the closer, if you will. He's a left-hander, very low ERA. Uh, the Reverend Jeff Lee, come on up here. Uh, Jeff is the RUF director for uh, CNU RUF. So he's on the front lines with college students every day. Notice how hip and cool he looks while I look tired and haggard. So um, you're going to have a great opportunity to hear from Jeff as he preaches on John 14, 6. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Hey, let me tell you what's true about what you just said. Actually, I did go to Christopher Newport many years ago, and I went there to be a pitcher. And uh, I was a closer. I was a third baseman and a closer. And uh, you didn't know it, but it's true. I was like, so good. And uh, oh my goodness, that's what brought me. But needless to say, I did not play baseball continually at CNU. That's what brought me. I joined a Christian ministry, girls and surfing then called me. So anyway, well, hey, well, thank you all for, for having me and letting me come back here. I appreciate this. I love being with you guys. And this is a special place. And so anytime Carlos says, hey, can you come in and fill uh, the bullpen? I'm like, please, I would love to do so. Well, we're diving into John uh, chapter 14. And we're looking at just really one verse and one aspect of this verse. And um, to give you a little context of John 14, um, I'm going to read John 14 verses 1 through 6. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about this concept and idea of truth as truth in the day and age that we live in seems to kind of be eroding and going the way of the buffalo. But we're going to talk about that. But let me give you some context to our verse. I'm going to read John 14 verses 1 through 6. This is what the Lord says. Jesus is speaking. He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, but we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus says to Thomas, to him, says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is giving them an idea of where he's about to go and that he's going, going to be going to the cross. He's going to be dying for their sins, but he says, he says there is an eternity. There is an other side. This life, yes, the tangible, but there's an intangible. There's a dynamic that there is a heaven Right, and he says, guess what? When you leave the side of the grave, there's something else after. And he says, I'm the way, the truth and the life. Life now, I'm the way to heaven. And guess what? I'm the truth. You've got to believe. So you have life now and life eternal in heaven with God forevermore. And so he's laying out this idea that there is real, objective, universal truth. That this exists. And he embodies that. Jesus Christ says, I am the truth. In order to get to this heaven, this place of paradise, of peace, of joy, no more tears, no more sorrow, he says, you have to believe rightly. And whom do you have to believe? And, and in what is this right belief? He says, it's me. There is no other way. Well, 
We live in a world today where um, objective truth seems to be pretty elusive, kind of like trying to nail jello to the wall, especially for the younger generations. You all know this. We hear this in, in a broader sense in the media. We hear things of fake news. We hear also people's personal philosophy of living of just you do you, which really means do whatever you feel is right. And it's these types of, of verbiage that is kind of eroding the sense that there is real objective universal truth, right? There's many other types of phrases you probably hear that are relativistic in nature, which is you make the truth, you are the arbiter of all that's true and good, right? Um, but these are common ones that we hear. And I'm gonna give you some illustrations of what also people are saying on a regular basis. But what's happening when we say these things as we are fragmenting the possibility for an ultimate truth? Relative truth is, is this. Um, it's that it's, that truth is not objective, that it's not sourced from one higher being or one set of ethical values, but that truth is relative to the individual. And ultimately, it's what you feel it ought to be, what you need it to be, or what you want to make it. Essentially, it's saying you are God, and you have the power of what's true. That's a problem, and there's not a lot of good news that come with that. We would be, in our, at least our limited perspective, very limited gods with our amount of truth that we have, right? We live in a time and a space. But this is pervasive, this thought about truth in our culture. Let me give you some illustrations. Sir Richard Branson, if you've heard of him, he says in regards to uh, the business world and economics, he says, to me, business isn't about wearing suits or pleasing stockholders. It's about being true to yourself, true to your ideas, true to focusing on the essentials. So truth is simply what you make it, what your business methodologies need to be, what your goals are, that's what's truth. And whatever the end of those things are, it justifies the means, right? Because you're the arbiter of truth. You can do what you need to do. You make truth what it ought to be. So even if your business practices aren't very ethical, if your truth is making a million dollars, whatever's necessary to get there, that's what's right and good. Doesn't work very well, but we see that in the world today. In the HBO show Game of Thrones, we see this in many different ways, but there's a specific quote I want to read to you. Hear about the sinister nature uh, of truth here. There's a, a lady in there named Cersei Lannister. She's kind of this queen. She has a lot of power, and she's talking to her son Joffrey, and this is after he's had a scuffle with a giant wolf. It's called a dire wolf and with another scuffle with another boy as well. And the queen says to her would-be, soon-to-be son, who would be king, she says, when you are king, Joffrey, truth will be what you make it to be. Simply, truth is whatever you say it's going to be. When you have enough power, you make truth what it is. Because Truth is now deployed in the service of self-interest. It's not objective. It's what you, the powerful, make it to be. We see this in the political world all the time. I was reading not too long ago just some different quotes 
um, from the Wall Street Journal from just some old articles. Um, and I, I saw James Carville, and he was talking about this nature of truth. And James Carville said, truth is relative. Truth is what you can make the voter believe is the truth. If you're smart enough, truth is what you make the voter think it is. And on the other end of the aisle, as I was reading a New York Times interview, I saw Karl Rove, a Republican strategist, he said this. He said, we, the U.S., are an empire now. And when we, the nation, act, we create our own new reality. And when you, the journalists, are studying that reality judiciously, as you will, we will act again, and we will create new realities, and you can study that too, and that's how things are going to sort out. Simply saying, truth is what we, the powerful, make it to be, and you just get to study it and see it, because we, the powerful, we are the holders of all that's true. We create truth. We create reality. We also see this in the pop culture as well, too. Um, Kendall Jenner, if you don't know who she is, she's a very powerful person. Disproportionately so. She's a model. She's also on the TV show Keeping Up the Kardashians, and she's everywhere in social media. Everywhere. She says things like this. I've realized through the years that I just find happiness in other things, whether it's my dogs or my friends or like looking at the sunset. So if I were to wish for something else, it would just to be happy all the time. To have the superpower of not letting things affect me and just to be true to who I am always. Truth is her doing whatever she feels all the time. That's what's truth. She's the arbiter of truth in that statement. And her truth is to be happy, whatever the means. But happiness is the end. And truth is what she makes it, whatever her passions and desires may be at that moment. Here's the problem. She has 128 million Instagram followers. She's everywhere in the media, all the time. She's influencing a lot of young people who believe her when she says things like this. Do you all know how many active members there are in our own denomination, the PCA? It's 375,000. This is a study taken just a couple years ago. She's influencing 127 million, possibly 600,000 more folks. Now, granted, this, I'm just mentioning members. Even if we say PCA, we've got a million folks we're reaching. That's a lot of people that she's influencing. It's a lot of false truth going out. You know what I mean? And so what we have, we have some big problems. Thankfully, we have a bigger God. Amen? We have a bigger God. But this is the world we're growing up in and the nature of truth that we have to begin to think about and that we have to begin to one pray about and also share and proclaim what is true and where there is good news in this life and in the life to come. And so what we're going to begin to do now is actually just pray about that. That as we learn about this person, Jesus, who says he is the truth, that we would be a people who not only believe it, would have opportunities to share it, but we would begin to see conversions of people as well, people in our lives, our friends, family, co-workers, because they are dethroning, giving themselves up as God, and they're putting the real God, Yahweh, on the throne of their lives. Let's pray that we would be caveats of that grace and that mercy and that truth. Pray with me now, and then we're going to dive in. So pray with me. Lord, we live 
um, in a country where um, we are God. Um, we are oftentimes um, the ones who are the arbiters of all that's true. Oftentimes, uh, we live as if our feelings are um, rights that can never be trampled on, and whatever we feel, that's what's right and good and true, and that's, that's not accurate. Um, our, our, our feelings are often, uh, Lord, <laughs> not consistent with what your scriptures say. Um, we ought to do the ways we ought to live, or even sometimes the way we ought to feel. And so, Lord, um, help us to be people who see you as truth, to love your scriptures as ultimate truth, and to live by them, Lord, because your truth works. It's good, it gives us hope, and it pours life into us. Lord, help us to be people who proclaim your truth in gentle ways and in winsome ways. Uh, Lord, help us to have deeper convictions about your truth, Lord, to take away the, the malaise that we have, Lord, and the, the carelessness that sometimes we handle your scriptures. Give us a deep conviction and a love for your word and help us to love our neighbors, Lord, people who need your truth and to share that with them. Lord, we love you and all God's people said, amen. Well, John fourteen six says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, first point we're going to look at is who is the truth? That's the first thing we're going to do. And the second thing we're going to do, we're going to look at what does it mean to live in light of this truth? So, point one, who is the truth? Well, Jesus says very straightforwardly, he says, I am the truth. It's not Muhammad. It's not Buddha. It's not Krishna, Joseph Smith, L. Ron Hubbard, right? Adam Smith, economic you know, it's not Bernie Sanders, Donald Trump, it's not Kendall Jenner, and it's definitely not you, right? He says, I alone am the embodiment of all that's right, and that's true, and that's good. And what I say is honest, it's accurate, it's objective, it's real, and it's right in its purest sense, because I am incapable of falsehood. I embody truth. You are not that way. You, we do white lies. We do big lies, big and small, all the time. People around us do shade the truth. He says, I don't. I am all that's true. I am all that's good. I embody it. Jesus, he says to us um, in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, he says this. This is what John says, who Jesus is. He says, in the beginning was this person Jesus. He's actually there at the beginning of creation. And Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning, creation. Through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In Jesus was life, and that life was the light of men. Jesus was in the world, and through the world, the world was made through him. But yet the world did not recognize him. Yet to all who believed in Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or will, but born of God. The word of God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus is that word in John 1 talking about going back to Genesis 1. He is the creator. He's the architect of truth. He's the one who created the world in which all things exist and move because of his authority. He sustains them. He made them. And so it's no wonder his instructions in his word, they work because he's the creator, right? And so when we would listen, when we would hear, when we would believe in who he is and what he says... 
things are going to go well. Why? Because he created them to go that way. Right? I liken it to when I pull out a Lego instruction manual. I trust the Lego instruction manual. Sometimes it seems daunting if you're pulling out something like the Lego Millennium Falcon that has 7,000 pieces. But I trust when I get to this manual, at the front of it is a good piece by piece by piece by piece. I'm going to get to the end. And I'm trusting this manual. Why? Because who created it? Well, it's the people who actually made the Millennium Falcon who deconstructed then these 7,000 pieces to put it together. And so when I go page by page by page by page, hour after hour after hour, right, when I finally get it, and I follow the instructions to the T, lo and behold, what do I get? I get a Millennium Falcon for my son, right? And then, boom, crash and break it after hours of work, right? And then I have to enact grace and mercy <laughs> as a father <laughs> to my child. <laughs> um... But I'm trusting, right, that the creators of this thing, they knew what they're doing, and I follow instructions, and boom, it works. The Word of God, in a very similar way, comes from the Creator. And when we follow it, it works. It's good. It's true. And this is not just on this side of right earth, but also on the other side as well, because Jesus says, I'm the way to also heaven as well. That there is truth that matters in the temporary, but there's also an eternal sense where this truth matters as well. He says, my words, my instructions, they work. Let me, let me show you and illustrate you how Jesus' truth, that it actually works out well. Truth like this, when we're honest, what do you know? More people trust you if you're an honest person and you have the character of being a, a truthful and honest person. More people give you their, their honest thoughts, right? They reflect that truthfulness back to you. Truth, when we don't murder, more people want to be friends with us. All right? Who would know that would work out well for us, right? That one's pretty obvious. Truth about how about when we don't steal or are not known for being a klepto, that people would actually entrust their things to us maybe, right? Both, both good, big, and small, right? Even just kind of in friendship ways. How about truth like this? When we don't commit adultery, we love our spouse. How about our spouse is going to treat us with greater love and care and trust and respect? That's an easy one, but yet a lot of people don't follow that one right? God's truth works there, doesn't it? In our marriages. Amen. Truth, but how about this one that hits a little closer to home for all of us workaholics and would-be perfectionists? How about when we slow down one day a week, one out of seven, we might feel better, be a little bit more human, and have a little bit less of the case of the Mondays come Monday if we actually slowed down. Who knew, right? God the Creator made Sabbath for man, right? truth, how about when we live simply? We're less anxious about acquiring more stuff or the stuff that we have when we live simply. How about when we live simply? We're more content with and grateful with what we already have, right? It's weird how these things, these biblical truths begin to actually work out and change us and shape us. These things work because we were made an image in the design that God created us to be in his image, and we, when we reflect his nature, his character, when we reflect things that are true of him and we live out that truth, it works well. Our lives have a little bit more peace, a little bit less chaos in them. And we can experience a little bit more of what we would say is called flourishing on this side of heaven. And we can then also, when we follow these ethics and values and virtues, 
embodying the truth that Jesus is, following his truth, we can also then lead our neighbors, our co-workers, and the world around us towards greater flourishing. Weird how that would work. God the Creator says it would work this way, right? That we might experience greater physical, emotional, spiritual shalom, peace, and joy when we look to the one who is peace and joy and we lead others towards him, that there would be good, right? Works on this side, it works on the other side. Let me share with you some things that Jesus says about who he is, about this truthfulness, that it's not only good now, but also this truth, it lasts a lifetime and it's also eternal truth. So there's also a weightiness that's not just temporal, but eternal. This is what Jesus says himself. He says, For God so loved the world, right, that he gave his only only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. He says, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes in him, me, right, and the one who has sent me, then he has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Also, he says, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. And I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. That means, he says, I have good news for you now and in the life to come. That this truth bears weight temporarily as well as eternally on your life and the life of the people around you. We all know that average lifespan is around 80-some years. That transition to the other side is coming for all of us. What you believe matters. But in whom are you following? Is it you? Are you the way? And is your way the way that leads to life? Or are you following the one true God who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life? What about your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers? What's going on with them? Right? This is, a, this is a weighty aspect when Jesus says, I am truth, in a world that is eroding the possibilities of this truth. This is a big issue. The good news is, though, he says, there, if you follow me, I'll put my truth in you. My spirit will revive you. It'll change you. It'll shape you. He says, and guess what? I'm going to prepare a place for you so that you'll live with me in my truth and my justice and peace forevermore. Not just the temporary benefits now, but eternally so. This goodness, the ramifications of truth, will be yours. He says, trust me, there's plenty of room for you in my Father's home. He says, if it weren't so, would I have told you that I'm on my way to get a room ready for you? He says, and if I am on my way to get a room ready for you, he says, I'll come back and I'll get you so you can live with me where I am and where I'm going to live. He says, you know the road that I'm taking, right? He's talking to Thomas. The road towards death. And it's the death of our Savior who is truth. And it's the death of our Savior who is ultimate truth that unlocks the possibility for us to get to the other side and experience the beauties of his truth. Truth that your sin has a cost. It's weighty. But the good news is, is that him being truth, he also gives us his righteousness. Righteousness that we don't live perfectly. He gives us his ethic, his value, his perfect life. We get that. And then we get to experience the beauty and flourishing of that. That's what's true. And that's what the Bible says. Because there is a paradise that exists. There is a hell that exists. Right? 
But if you don't believe in a heaven and hell, what are you left with? An alternative of nothingness, right? As Nietzsche would say. And I don't think that's very good news if there's just nothingness. But also, if Jesus says, well, if you don't believe I'm the way, there's also a really scary alternative that there may be also a hell, a place of real torment and torture for all eternity. So does what we believe, does it matter? What your friends, your coworkers, your family members, does what they believe, does that matter at all? The world says not really. What does the Bible say? What does Jesus say? He says, yeah, it matters a lot. What you believe, the doctrines you believe, they matter a lot. This isn't small potato stuff like the world says. What you believe matters, and in whom you put your trust, it matters and is weighty. You put your trust in me, Jesus, or you're putting it in yourself, or your 401k, your job, or some other area of life. He says, but if I'm not God, then there's real consequences. You may not know life. You may know death here and in the life to come. Real weighty matter. Does truth matter? Os Guinness says it does. Os Guinness, he's the senior fellow at the Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics. And I'm going to read a quote from him. He has a wonderful article on the aspect of truth. He says, only a high view of truth in Jesus Christ honors the God of truth. Too often, truth is left as a philosophical issue. Philosophical issues are important to us, but truth is first and foremost a matter of theology. Not only is our Lord the God who is actually objectively really and truly there, so that what we believe corresponds to what actually is the case, but our Lord is the true one in the sense that he is the one whose covenant loyalty may be trusted and the entire weight of our existence is staked on him. Those who weaken their hold on truth weaken their hold on God. He continues to say that even skeptics and relativists who undermine the notion of truth are like fools cutting off the branch in which they are sitting. For without ultimate truth, science and all human knowledge collapses simply into conjecture. Without truth in the vital profession of journalism and how we follow events of our day and understand the signs of our times, they simply dissolve into rumors. Without truth, the world of politics and business simply melt down into rules and power grabs. Without truth, the precious gift of human reason and freedom becomes a license to do anything which costs us the bonding element of trust. When we then, as followers of Jesus Christ, we therefore ought to be unashamed to stand before the world as servants and guardians of a high view of truth, both for our Lord's sake, but also for the highest endeavors of humanity. Truth not just for ourselves and our eternal destinies, but also for the greater good and flourishing of our communities, of the people that we are surrounded by for their good as well. He's reminding us that we must mobilize and share truth with other people to be ready in season and out of season when people are willing and when they're not willing. Now, we need to do it with gentleness, right? Respect, thoughtfulness, and care, but we ought to do it. We have a younger generation that is growing up where truth is just relative. Share truth with your children with their friends, invite them into church, which 
into places where they can have the scriptures. Give away the scriptures to friends and family. Buy them. Give it to them so that they have access to this truth, my friends. Because they're growing up in a culture that says there is no ultimate truth. It's all equally good. Well, we're living that out as a nation, aren't we? And it's not good. Taste and see. And it's pretty bitter. Right? It's not, not, not pleasant. I'll be honest. We are missional people sent by a missional God who's full of truth. Share that truth with others. I'm going to close and give you a few thoughtful ideas. As a college campus minister who kind of gets to walk beside folks of multiple generations, but I focus really in on 18 to 22-year-olds, which is the future of the church, future church leaders, right, and those people who will eventually come into power. And these are ways to reach some of these millennial folks. And these are blanket statements of how you're able to share truth with this younger generation, which is a tough generation to share truth with. I'll just be honest with you. But let me share some thoughts with you. First off, what's helpful in proclaiming truth? To build a non-judgmental relationship with them. If you want to speak truth to a lot of younger folks, build a friendship with them. Relationship. Relational capital. You can't just wag the finger at a lot of the younger folks and say, believe this, this is right and true. It may be they will not listen to you or hear you. I'm an eight on the Enneagram and an ENTJ on the Myers-Briggs. If somebody did that to me, I'm going to completely do the opposite just because, right? Uh, But let me tell you, as a generation, build relationship capital, build friendship dynamics with them, and then they won't tune you out. They'll actually listen to you. Relationship gives you the caveat to speak deep truths to them. Second thing I would say, love them before you judge them. There are things about this younger generation that are true. They are narcissistic and self-indulgent. All true. (laughs) All true. Like as a blanket statement, maybe not always every individual. But I'll tell you what's beautiful about this younger generation. They're very self-aware. They're very honest. A lot of times um, they will share with you what's going on actually in their lives. When I've, as a pastor, worked with a church dynamic of multiple generations, that's harder for older generations to do. Younger generation, these, these kids, um, I can get the truth out of them like that. And they mean it. And they're honest and transparent with me. I'm telling you, these college kids, they want to share. They want to know that there's more. I, I love that about them. Because instead of six to eight counseling sessions with them, I can go deep and one or two. That's a beautiful thing. Love them before you judge them. And because they'll also, third point, they're very sensitive to those dynamics. They have a heightened sense of awareness of not only themselves, of others. And so if they, if they catch a judgy vibe, they will turn you off quickly. They just will. And so this is really in point two to go into point three aspect. If you want to share deep truths with them, come with an open mind to learn and to share life with them. Share personal stories about yourself with them of success and of failure. Humanize yourself with a lot of younger folks and they will begin to be thoughtful about what's that Jesus stuff you got going on there, that church stuff. You know, I'll tell you, that is some of the best ways I do evangelism is building friendship, getting to know their stories, sharing my personal stories with them. And they're far more interested in, hey, you're actually like a halfway human being. I could, I could go for some of that truth you're talking about. Tell me more about that. 
evangelism. Let me tell you, there's things like this that are beautiful, but these are just some small aspects about how to actually share truth. But we have to pray for opportunities, and I'm going to close in prayer. Let us be a people who pray for opportunities to share this truth, to share our lives and build relationships with people. And let us do it with gentleness, kindness, and respect, and we will have active hearers, right? And hopefully then even doers of the word. And so pray with me now that we would have deep convictions of the truth, and we would be generous in sharing that truth with others. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are faithful, you are kind, and Lord, you are true. Help us to be people, Lord, who not only um, love your truth, but who study it intently. Um, Lord, who dive deeper into the, the beautiful recesses of your truth. And Lord, help us to care even more about your truth and help us, though, not to become just big-headed and full of knowledge, but help us to be more beautiful people living out your truth doing relationship with others, sharing, Lord, your truth, your grace, and your mercy generously, Lord, to all who would listen and hear. Give us more opportunities, Lord. Open our eyes to the opportunities that are already around us. Give us the confidence and courage to build friendships and relationships with those people and invite them into the truth of your gospel, Lord, that will set them free. Lord, we love you. Thank you that, Lord, we have salvation and we have eternal security in you. And we praise in your name. And all God's people said, amen.